Hi, I'm Shreen Bashik, and you're listening to Making Marketing by Digiday. Every week, I talk to executives who are changing the marketing playbook for the industry one decision at a time. DTC has swept almost every category. Telco is next. A few months ago, Verizon launched Visible, incubating a new brand within the multi-billion dollar company. Visible, which launched invite-only, is a digital-only phone carrier with no stores and e-commerce-only service. But building a brand is hard, and building one inside a giant company can come with its own hurdles. My guest today is Minjay Orms, the CMO of Visible. On this episode, we went deep into the Visible strategy, the cues the company's taken from Glossier, and its own direct-to-consumer playbook. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, welcome to Making Marketing. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you. We've kind of touched on it on on the show before, but this idea mm-hmm. of sort of what it really takes to build a startup. Yep is one question. What it really takes to build a startup new brand new entity within a giant multi-billion dollar (laughs) company is a whole other thing. And one of our prior guests um, was Eric Toda, who was in the process of building a company called Hill City within uh, the giant company that is Gap. Mm -hmm. Um, And you are on a very similar journey, except in a completely different marketplace and a completely different category. Um, So tell us what you do. Yeah, absolutely. We are, as you said, trying to start a whole new brand around one simple offering, which is all new digital carrier in the U.S., $40 a month, unlimited everything, all on Verizon's network. Mm -hmm. How long have you existed? Uh, We have been out there since last summer, Um, soft launched a product and invite code only. So to see who was coming over, whether our hypothesis around the target customer was making sense. And then we started marketing the product really around the fall Mm -hmm. timeframe last year. I want to go a little bit back um, before we start talking about kind of the marketing and all of that, because what you said earlier was, you know, having to test that the hypothesis was correct. Um, What what was the hypothesis here? Um, And what was sort of because I think the first question anybody has is why fragment your Mm -hmm. own brand? Why take a giant company called Verizon, which has plenty of customers Mm -hmm. and kind of say, okay, well, actually, we're going to take a bunch of these and move them over here. Yeah. It really comes down to the type of relationship that we aspire to have and are building at Visible. So, of course, as you mentioned, Verizon has such strength in its name, the network and the quality and what it comes with. And in this case with Visible, what we're trying to do is are there folks who see value in that and perhaps want to have a different type of a relationship and a way of doing business with their carriers. So how that translates to business model for Visible is that we have no physical storefronts. Everything is done digitally. So anyone who wants to sign up for a service can go to the app store or our website at visible.com, download the app and sign up for the service. Next day, we send you the SIM and you're good to go. So in that way, we are really catering to folks who may not have the time to or might not want to go into physical stores to be able to do their business and really be with them everywhere that they need to be on the go. What was what was the idea for it? Again, going back to when this was in the early stages yep. that obviously you're looking at all these different consumer changes in the marketplace. Right? Sure. Stores are. A lot of places don't have stores when mm-hmm. they start. A mm-hmm. lot of people are now comfortable, finally, That's right. buying things from places that don't have physical presences. A lot of people are getting there. Was it a sort of, okay, the customer is ready? Was it a, we need a new customer? We need to reach a new yeah. type of customer? Sure. We need to increase our de- the demographics that we're actually talking to? 
tell me a little bit more about exactly why do this. Yeah. So there, there are two things, which is one, yes, people are used to now having the retail experience, right? Whether it's shopping all the way to purchase without having actually set their foot in physical stores. Mm-hmm. Or having things brought to them, as in the examples of ordering car service from your phone, ordering food from your phone, even finding a date on your phone. Um, But that behavior hasn't existed in telco. Meaning, if you look at the category and the industry, we're very much trained to still uh, go into stores and do our business and purchase your phone and phone service in in the way that it has been. So the idea there was, well, if people are used to or wanting to do their business in ways that these other industries have caught up to, can we apply that model also to your phone service and be able to serve our customers better? So in that way, how that translated to how we think about our members is that it's really about the behavioral um, disposition rather than, I would say, age group. So it's really, you know, when you look at the brand and marketing, which we'll talk about a little later, it, it'll feel very much like, well, this is for young people. But, you know, they tend to be influencers in that space in terms of early adopter behaviors and trying something new out. At the same time, if it's good for them, it really should be good for anyone who is wanting to live their lives in a way that's on the go. Yeah. The, did you look at or did you sort of think about, you know, you're essentially direct consumer brand. Yep. Um, did you look at a lot of, a lot of these DTC brands, yeah. especially in... In different categories, right? Most of them are happening in health and wellness. There's a lot in CPG and food um, and obviously apparel and fashion. Um, Were there... I'm curious if there were sort of cues you took or kind of inspiration you took from sort of this DTC wave that's kind of sweeping the industry right now and say wait a minute, what can, how can we apply this to telco? Sort of a historically more staid sort of category that hasn't changed in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And when I think about Visible as a brand and a product, I think about it more as a lifestyle brand. So therefore, the inspiration is truly everywhere. As you said, it's in the financial service category, like Ally Bank, um, or is it Casper's of the world? Um, But there's also a beauty brand like Glossier who really started nurturing the community from within and testing their product thesis out as well as the marketing messages. So how can we take inspiration from outside of the category in the industry and apply some of the things that we see resonating with consumers out there to the telco industry. Give me an example of kind of how something somebody else was doing kind of inspired you. Yeah. So um, the Glossier example is a good one where, right, they have a very, very passionate community. Too passionate. I tried to buy something from Glossier the other day. It was really difficult. (laughs) It's like you had to go and then you had to tell them you wanted it. And then they sort of made you wait. Ah, it's like, do you really want this lip balm? Like, you have to prove it to me. Oh, well, it's part of the experience. <laughs> it's because they have no inventory in the stores. <laughs> They're all hidden away someplace. They've kept it too Instagram friendly. Anyway. Uh, yeah, little... so it's it's part of the experience of um, seeing, right, do we product test and what are the colors and what are the type of things that people like all the way down to the actual messaging of the product that's been developed. So really that two-way communication between consumers and the brand as to what is it that you're looking for and how can we get to that insight quickly, real time in in a two-way feedback. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've been doing at Visible is really nurturing that community mentality and also a conversation between us and our members. So if you go to our 
Instagram feed. It's somewhere between our community of influencers who are really they're they're living their lives and they're sharing their passion points with their communities, right? Whether it comes to arts and crafts, to photography, to food, and really what they're fueling fueled by and through their smartphones is the visible service that we provide. So the inspiration there was that, you know, we can talk about sort of the bread and butter of back to the right forty dollars a month unlimited on Verizon's network, but how do we really make that mean something to people and most importantly relate to how they go about their day-to-day in ways that a lot of the utility services disappear in the background when it works. But so, isn't that the ideal, that it's one of those things oh, that you course. don't have to think about because yeah. you only think about that when it doesn't right. work and you have to call them and yell at them? For sure. So the spectrum is definitely that, which is one, it's one of those things when phone service works, It should work. You expect it to work and you don't get extra points for working well. (laughs) But as you said, if it doesn't work, then you do end up in the category of a lot of the sentiments that get shared on social and so forth. So as a marketer, my challenge there is, can you have a different kind of a relationship that is not either or, but somewhere in between where Yes, of course, people would see the value in the price and the product and the package and the experience we provide from the service standpoint. But can we add meaning to the value pieces more than the dollars? Mm. Meaning, can we create the kind of positive and proactive relationship with our members by doing things like surprise and delights and reaching out to them periodically without any strings tied because we literally have no contracts. Um, But also if they do run into some issues, we're trying to treat them as human beings with dignity and respect so that ultimately they feel they are taken care of in addition to the things that they get from us for the money they're paying. And when you launched, I thought it was really interesting because you were sort of invite only, closed beta, whatever you want to call it, which also is funnily a very common glossier tactic, right? Um, Tell us a little bit about why you did that, what you did for people who might not know. Sure. Um, So very similar to Gmail or any of the software-based products that you've seen. Remember when we got the Gmail invite? (laughs) I thought like everything had just changed for me. I begged like five people. I know. Me too. Me too. And that was what you were going for. Yeah. Yes. begging each other. For That's it. right. Yes. There, it serves kind of two purposes, which was, yes, create this desire amongst people who may want this, especially amongst early adopters who are like, what is this new thing? And I must have it. <laughs> but also it gave us as a business some time to let the product go out there and back to the comment about the hypothesis piece. Is everything that we built working the way it should? And who is coming over here that we thought we would get versus maybe there's some new groups of people coming over here that we didn't expect? Mm. And how should we think about that before we go broader with our marketing message? How many people did you sort of or how did you even start? Because I think a lot of Mm. people would want to try something like this. I'm curious about sort of operationalizing this. How do you even begin with kind of a closed invite only group? And then how do you manage that internally? Yeah. So really, it starts with our employees. And and that's the community mentality that I spoke to earlier that I really want to make sure we hold on to even as we grow and scale. Because one, when we think about ourselves, meaning the visible employees as part of the visible community together with our influencers, our partners, our members, 
it gives us a higher sense of accountability in terms of what we deliver for them and how we need to be there for them every single day. So when we started the invite-only mechanism, it was literally a group of us who work there starting to see this with our friends and family and our network of hmm. people. And from there, it spread. So, so no it, big Verizon marketing machine behind this. Well, <laughs> it, it, we wanted to do it in a way that was more organic and grassroots and the community driven. But of course, you know, as we grow the business, the beauty of being a startup within the big companies that we do get to leverage the resources, knowledge and the infrastructure that comes with our parent company. What surprised you about the kinds of people that were signing on, especially when you were still in that invite only phase? What what did you learn that, you know, really affected, you'd say, in a real way, the brand, its marketing, mm-hmm. what it was? Yeah, what what I really was struck by is the amount of interest and passion from our earliest members. So on the one hand, it wasn't surprising that there were a lot of folks who are your traditional early adopter profiles, right? Wanting to try something new out and wanting to share that feedback with their friends and be the first to know and be the first to share. Um, but at the same time, when we, for instance, reached out to our members and said, hey, thanks for joining us. Here's who we are. And here's what we're trying to do for you. And we want this to be a two way dialogue in which you give us feedback around what's working, what's not and what you want to see from us more in the future. I didn't really expect to get that many responses, but hundreds of people, one, took the survey and two, gave us essay length feedback about what we're doing well, what they like about the brand, like first time college students who were finally able to afford a phone service because this is something that they really needed but couldn't afford at the quality level that they get to feature requests. We want to see X, Y, Z. And so one of the things that we then subsequently built and gave to all of our members as part of our $40 package is mobile hotspot. So it's it's been a really interesting journey in how much good, bad, and the ugly feedback that we get. And we will take all of it because that's the only way that we're going to get better. And it is such valuable insight, whether they're telling us explicitly to us or on social platforms or in things that we see and how they interact with us. So that, that's that been the biggest surprise and the really valuable insight that we're trying to continue to tap into. What does the marketing look like as you've grown? How has it changed? Obviously, you're going to do more than just stay in an invite. <laughs> of course, yes. Yeah. So we have since lifted the invite-only mechanism. Um, last year, we were bring-your-own-device-only, and this year we started actually selling phones because that was the, another piece of insight that we gained from folks who were wanting to sign up for Visible, which is that a lot of the times when people switch their phone services, they're also looking to upgrade their phones. So that's the um, effort that we started earlier this year. So in terms of marketing approach, building on top of those relationships that we started um, building with our influencers and our member community, um, we've been experimenting with some experiential aspects of marketing activities because at the end of the day, yes, we are a digital business and we are trying to carve out a new funnel and a user path to our business that is entirely digital based, which, as I said, people are used to this, but in, in not necessarily in the way that they interact with telco and their carriers. Mm. So in order for us to ask permission to have a relationship and for people to give us trust and therefore their business 
or visible, we wanted to show up in ways that are more tangible, physical, but also relatable in real world, which is why we've been showing up um, at places like South By um, this month and trying to find ways, the inter- intersection between where and how people spend their time in digital places, mm-hmm. as well as in physical places where they come together around similar passion points. Do you, again, going back to the sort of direct-to-consumer you know, brand mm-hmm. marketing mechanism, obviously a lot of those brands have really grown up and sort of built almost entirely really on Instagram and Facebook. Um, And obviously Facebook remains for most of them kind of their most valuable channel as a marketer. Have you found kind of similar as that because... um, or has that or has that experience been different for you? Yeah, I would say social channels like Facebook and Instagram have been um, incredibly valuable for us. In Are terms they getting of, more expensive though? <laughs> that's another question. Uh, the the in terms of our ability to really live the promise of a D two C brand, right? Because we get that real time engagement and the feedback, but also that we we need to be out there and. It, it's a relation. It's I, I just think about this really like a human level relationship mm-hmm. because you can't just put a message out there, expect people to see it, go away for a few weeks and then come back and like, hey, how you doing? But it's, it's something we got to nurture constantly, which is why places like the social platforms mm-hmm. work well for us because it is already such day to day part of everybody's lives. Yeah, it's almost become like table stakes. Now, yeah, right. Like if you're absolutely. not doing regardless of, yes, the price is going up and all of that. Yep. It's just sort of if you're not doing this, this is sort of totally right. Totally. Where else? Um, well, so we talked a little bit about the social channels, the experiential aspect of it. And one of the other things um, that we're really bullish on is, and as a new brand, and this is what we have to do, is be different. <laughs> Not being different for difference's sake, but because at any given time, outside of the category, the whole sum of messages that they're getting from brands, it's overwhelming. Like There's, there's too so, much. so much out <laughs> right. there, right? Which is why we are thinking through, yes, how do we carve out that path on digital media to the digital business by going after places where people are already spending their time, like social platforms, like music streaming services, like... um, Hulu or other places where a lot of the cord cutters are showing up, which tends to be a really interesting group for us, too, because mm-hmm. they're they're already thinking about right value and how do they find ways to hack <laughs> their budget into many different places and really make that work through right your mm-hmm. lifestyle as was what you're looking for. Um, so in that regard, it's it's really about, yes, banking on on the strength and scale of digital media and places where people already are, plus the relationship building aspects of the influencers and the members and really letting them be brand advocates because yeah. their voices are so much more powerful than us going out there and saying mm-hmm. the same message over and over again. And last piece of it is that experiential aspect where this month we um, started a campaign in L.A. and a few other cities where we are transforming um, in L.A. specifically some of the bus shelters into unexpected (laughs) places like a movie theater setting or a stadium or even your bathtub. Mm -hmm. Um, And the idea there was, one, we still provide the utility of it being a bus shelter, um, but at the same time, the creative experience around it is that 
you can literally sign up for and switch your phone service anywhere you are as long as right, you're doing it with Visible. So that's why we provided those different contexts to be playful and fun, but also eye-catching in a way that people won't expect mm-hmm. a telco brand to perhaps show up out there in the world because it gives us another way to have a touch point that people can interact with our brand and get to know us a little bit because we realize switching your phone service isn't a light decision. The big question I do have, and that's really interesting because it's, you know, sort of that physical still Mm. really matters and physical manifestations of the brand still matter. Now, they might not matter right now in terms of needing a store because the whole value proposition is that you don't need a store. But being able to kind of tangibly experience whatever that company is. And, you know, it's something that we've had so many online only brand founders Mm. on the podcast who are like, no, I've decided to go into TV advertising Mm. because it feels more legitimate. Mm. People trust me more when they see like, oh, no, this is a real brand. It doesn't just exist kind of somewhere on Instagram. I'm I'm curious about, you know, and even just stepping away from visible, yep. if if that's something you think about, because I think that that notion of trust and needing physicality to create trust for consumers is just sort of strangely at odds, though, with this like really digital world mm-hmm. we live in and where brands are built seemingly entirely on Instagram. You never have to see a person or talk to a person. Yeah. How does that kind of reconcile itself as a marketer? Yeah, for, for me, the trust piece really comes down to connectivity, the connection and the human element of the connection. Therefore, I I think there are a lot of different ways uh, a brand can manifest trust, right? So several examples that you mentioned, a TV ad, for instance, and back in my YouTube days, funnily enough, one of the ways in which we, we introduced YouTube products was through TV because that in research, we found that one of the insights for especially for something like YouTube TV, it made sense to go where people were. So it's not that TV definitively is the legitimacy, legitimacy vehicle, but given the product and the insights that you have at the time, it may very well be the thing that you need to do to really communicate your value proposition and connect and therefore build trust. Mm-hmm. So in in our case or in a lot of the DTC cases, I think the physicality matters because one, in a lot of the traditional models, yes, the storefronts or the, the folks who are the sales force within the storefronts end up being part of your sales mechanism, right? They're the right. ones who are every single day there and be able to tackle questions coming in or messages. Mechanism. Absolutely. Because they're there and exactly. you're walking past them. Exactly. So without that evergreen touch point, we have to think about, on the one hand, as you said, for Visible, the business value proposition is built on moving that physical storefront to digital because that's how we're able to also pass the savings onto our members and offer that $40 price point. Um, But at the same time, knowing that there are strengths in having those physical touch points, even if it's not a daily thing for us right now, so therefore, really strategic think, strategically thinking about where and how do people congregate already in their day to day. So in this case, the bus shelter campaign mm-hmm. in L.A. or around specific cultural moments like South by where we know that we'll be able to kind of in scale reach people that we would like to introduce visible to. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my thinking behind why the physicality matters. What does kind of growth look like for visible? 
Um, so for us, of course, the North Star is how our membership is growing and the trend around it. But really, the more important piece of this is how we're going about doing that. Because back to the hypothesis of digital business and the digitally oriented members, we really want to make sure that we are thinking through all the different ways in which we can reach them that back to the digital media plus the other marketing mm-hmm. mechanism combination. Um, but also a lot of the stuff that we're learning and applying every single day is the true business transformation story in, in how back to your comment about how do we do this within the big company. And there are actually not that many brands who been able to do this successfully. It's usually there are startups out there and big companies acquire them for talent or the infrastructure or the product that they build. Um, But it's a really interesting business case, I think, Mm -hmm. in in how can you balance the the, um, startup mentality and the nature and the speed and the test and learn, like all of that folded into one to think about ultimately for customers what we know works best keeping that alive in this case for us the Verizon network and you've but got that institutional that, knowledge absolutely exactly right? it's it's bringing the best of both worlds what is is that but that's also hard what is sort uh, yeah. of the biggest challenge then with kind of as you seek to grow this brand and yes the North Star is the membership but mm-hmm. also I think that's fascinating that the North Star is kind of maybe potentially proving out a really interesting new type of business model here yeah. for no, other industries right. to look at what's hard about it well, doing something new or doing something for the first time or doing things differently is always going to be met with questions and skepticism. But being the first in a space like this was never going to be easy. So more personally, this is this is what gets me out of bed every day. The challenge of building a new brand, new product, new culture, new team and new ways of doing things. Um, because even in tech industry, sometimes I saw behaviors adopted from traditional industry of how we go about doing businesses or how we build teams and how do you motivate people to really do things differently. It's not a comfortable space. And I wasn't always somebody who was comfortable with that level of ambiguity and risk taking. <laughs> but the more and more I live this every single day, I see that this is the new way of doing business. And this is how businesses are going to be able to stay ahead of trends and really evolve fast. Gone are the days in which you figure out your business model and you're good to go for decades. So in order to stay ahead of the trend and really think about new ways of growth opportunities, it's the balance between keeping to the principles of what are the like top three things that you really care about and what are the hypotheses and the business principles that you really need to hold on to, but creating a sandbox around it for the team that you have so people know what the parameters are to be able to play with and take some risks and test and fail and then learn something new and then keep moving on. Amazing. We'll end on that very inspirational (laughs) note from Vijay. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Our producer is Aditi Sangal. If you like the show, here's what you need to do. Leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or tweet at me. I'm at Train Patek. You can also send me an email at train at I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks again for listening. 